Welcome to another episode of the Empower Station. This is Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by Matt Brown. Hey, Matt, thank you for joining me for this special episode. Hey, Leo, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about the new stuff. Yes, me too. I love your tweet today. I So my story was today about the March Apple event is I did not watch. I watched the first maybe like 15 minutes live. I was busy doing something. And then I ended up I ended up having to drive after that. So I caught the iPhone SE and the AirPad, uh, iPad Air. And then I was driving the rest of the time doing errands. And then I had to like catch the rest of it on YouTube. Like luckily, if you go to the Apple site, you couldn't see the old recorded video. But if I go to YouTube, the whatever simulcast it on YouTube. So I ended up being able to watch it there. And yeah, that's when we got into the good stuff. So what did you what were your expectations going into the March event today? And were they met? Were they disappointing? What I'm just kind of curious. I would say they were met in that I follow a lot of like the rumors sites and like Mark Gurman, and they seem to get some of those things right about like, there's going to be a new, basically a tower sort of Mac mini, new display, new iPhone SE. I wasn't sure if there would be new iPad hardware or not, but what I was really hoping for was Apple TV hardware. And I'm perpetually disappointed every time, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Apple just uh, leaves Apple TV developers hanging. Was March the last time they did last year, or was that October? Was that the last Apple TV? Everything's a blur at this point. So typically they do that during their media event in the fall, but I think they did do it out of the media event timeframe this time around. Right. So before we jump more into the event, I want to let you introduce yourself, Matt, and what do you do and what's your expertise? Sure. So let's see. Among other things, I'm an Apple TV app developer. I've been an iPhone app developer since about 2008 and then dove into Apple TV app development in 2011. Not native Apple TV app development, but development for an app that communicates with the Apple TV via AirPlay. So, you know, I'm the maker of an app called Sketch Party TV, released in 2012, three years before there was a native tvOS Apple TV. And then eventually when that came out, I was like, well, I have to be on that on that platform too. So yeah, we'll get a little bit more into Apple TV development, but yeah. So there was some Apple TV announcements, major league baseball, I guess that's a big one. Yeah. Except for the MLB lockout or whatever that's happening. So (laughs) I wonder if this is a play to like the more people that are clamoring for their MLB, the more likely they are to resolve the lockout sooner. That's just a conspiracy. Yeah, I'm not a sports guy, but isn't MLB kind of like the cutting edge of streaming? Weren't they the ones that like really revolutionized streaming and then they ended up getting bought out by like Disney or HBO or something? Or they got spinned off as a separate company? I don't know the whole history of it. I know that they've always been at the forefront of like they, you know, had an iPhone app very early. They had an Apple TV app very early that could support like multiple streams or whatever. So it just makes sense that they would have this partnership with Apple. Um, I think they, they've had a long history together. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So the first big thing they announced uh, was the new iPhone SE. The big thing us developers should probably acknowledge is the home button is here to stay for us developers. We'll still be developing for the iPhone 5 screen or 5S screen, I guess, or 
I guess no, excuse me, six, right? Because it's a it's the bigger one, the iPhone six screen, which is basically turned into seven, which turned into eight, which turned into SE two, and now SE three. Are you getting one? I'm debating it. Yeah, yeah. Really? Okay. Not as a carry device, but more as like just a development device. It's always a good idea to check your design on various form factors. And you can't always count on everything having like the um, safe area insets the same. So so it just makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I have an 8. So like I feel like I'm good with just sticking with the 8 because it's basically the same outside. I find that if you test on the largest form factor and the smallest form factor, that the things in the middle kind of take care of themselves. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what I figured. Yeah, but we still have a home button. I mean, people still like the home button, so that's pretty... And I think the price, honestly, is like the biggest drive towards SE and why I think the Mini has had such a difficult time is people don't understand why they want to spend the extra 100 bucks for a Mini without the home button, right, over saving 100 bucks and just having the home button in the chin. Yeah, and I mean, just Touch ID is more usable in a lot of scenarios where if you don't have an Apple Watch, let's say, you're going to need something like if you're, let's say, wearing a mask. Yeah, that makes total sense. Hey folks, I want to let you know about one of the sponsors of today's episode, RevenueCat. RevenueCat makes it easy for app developers to build, analyze, and grow in-app purchases and subscriptions on iOS, Android, and the web. No server code required. With a few lines of code, get in-app purchase infrastructure, analytics, integrations without managing servers. If you're trying to navigate the updates and changes to the App Store as they come through this year, then RevenueCat is the way you're going to want to go. They have totally reasonable pricing and great integration with all sorts of different APIs, so you can actually track your customers and analyze reports of what's going on. I highly recommend you check our episode out with Andy Bodeo we did a few months ago, where we talk about the importance of in-app purchases and how RevenueCat can help you out. They have a brand new dashboard you should definitely check out which I'll provide a link to some videos in the show notes below that offer some glimpses at the kind of power that RevenueCat offers. So whether you're an indie app or whether you're enterprise, you definitely want to check RevenueCat out. Go to the link in the show notes below and try RevenueCat today. It's going to be really easy for you to integrate and get started right away. And thank you, RevenueCat, for sponsoring today's episode. And then we got iPad Air... Did you want to talk about that? I mean, the iPad Air, it's not something that I personally am going to get. I'm holding out for the next iPad Pro. Uh, I just like the 12.9-inch form factor. I kind of hope they introduce a 15-inch. Yeah, I was going to say, weren't you one of the people? Weren't you, aren't you one of the folks who want it? I want it the size of a table, full iPad OS, Apple Pencil. No, I'm, I'm on the same boat. Like, I loved my 12.9-inch iPad Pro, but like... I just want a bigger screen. Like, that's what I want. Like, it goes into, like, why I'm not, like, I don't want to have it heavily invest in, like, a really large laptop because I want the big screen. If I'm going to have a laptop, and have a really small laptop. But if I'm going to have a big screen, I want a really big screen. So it's like, yeah, I'm in the kind of the same boat where it's like, yeah, a 15-inch iPad would be awesome. Like, you just carry it in a briefcase. People make a big deal about it, but, like... I have no problem carrying a 16-inch MacBook Pro. I don't think I'd have any problem toting around a 15-inch iPad. Right, right, exactly. So let's let's get into the meat of the event. Were you in the market for a new Mac? No, I just bought the M1 Max. 
I maxed it out. Like <laughs> you got the 16 inch, right? Yeah, and I just have no um I have no need for it, but it's well, I we haven't even mentioned what it is yet, but it's beautiful, you know? And it would look so nice on my desk. So I went into it really wanting an iMac Pro. And I was really worried that we were going to end up with just a Pro Mac Mini, which just basically means a laptop without the screen. Like, that's essentially what I was worried we were going to end up getting. And then I heard all the stuff about the studio and like, oh, they're going to come out with a studio. It's like, okay, but what does that actually mean? Like, is it just going to be the, the laptop in innards of a desktop machine? And then they came out with this. And one of the things is this is going to be like the first big Apple device that I've spent a lot of money on that doesn't come with a screen, like, which is really weird for me because I come from a day and age where you bought, like you had a desktop and you had a separate screen with it, right? Like even your iPhone, your iPad, like all these devices have screens. I just bought a Mac mini, like a $500 Mac mini, like a few months ago, like an M1 for a CI stuff, continuous integration stuff. And like, like that's fine. Like that's, that's the exception. But for the most part, every Apple device, when you buy it, has a screen attached to it, even the Apple Watch. So it's like weird for me to like buy this really, really powerful machine that doesn't have a screen attached to it. Cause like we've been told for years, like, oh yeah, you want that screen attached to it because there's just so much data. Like it has to be up against it. But like we live in a different day and age. And like now it's like, yeah, you can have a separate monitor. It's normal. Apple's like, yeah, you could do that, which is really weird for me to go back to that world, you know? Yeah. So did you get the studio display too? Yes. You did. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Do you think, besides the size, do you think you lose anything by going with the studio display over the XDR? I mean, you gain something, right? You gain a camera. You gain $3,000. <laughs> yeah, the um, mounting options are a little bit more affordable, I feel like. I'm not getting the adjustable height. I don't feel like I really need that. Just the angle is enough? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's enough. Uh, it's not worth the extra $300, which feels like not... It's like one of the, what's, what they call that in pricing, where it's like, oh, it's $300. It's like out of the thousands I'm spending, it's like... But yeah, so... Should we go over the specs that I bought? Is that what you want to hear? Yeah, I do. Can I mention really quick, though, you said something about the design of it. And, you know, it's basically like, um, it kind of looks like a Mac Mini. But when they first started doing the rotation of the bottom grill, it was a, a circle, right? And so I'm like, oh, is this like a cylindrical design? Like the Mac Pro? Did everybody get it wrong? Yeah. 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 Um, and then they ended up showing, you know, we fooled you. That's just the the base vents or whatever. Does the Mac Mini have a, doesn't it have a base with like a holes in it or am I wrong? I think they're vents, but this has like the Swiss cheese or the cheese grater grill vents. Right. This is slightly thicker than that. But yeah, so my current machine is an iMac that I'm running on 2019. So not too old, not too new. It has 128 uh, gigs of memory that I bought through Amazon because it's so much cheaper and it, it works great. This machine is a really good machine. So I felt like I needed to stick with 128 regardless, even though it's a lot more expensive. I like maxed out my memory. I did go with the M1 Ultra because I really want to get, if I'm going to get a processor, I want to get like something more than just what you would be able to get with a MacBook Pro. Cause like, what's the point if you're going to get a, a Mac studio, you may as well get one that's more powerful than a laptop. 
but I did not max out the GPUs because I don't make Hollywood films with 3D rendering. I feel like I can get away with that. Like that felt like a bit much. Two terabytes SSD storage because I have I have one terabyte and it works fine. But in three years, one terabyte's not going to be enough. It just won't be. I know. I know how it goes. But springing for four terabytes is just. It's kind of senseless, right? And then the eight terabytes, you know, you're basically in Mac Pro territory. Right, right. And it's like I have external drives that I use for storing like big stuff that I don't need. But you don't need, I only feel like you need to spend that kind of money if you need it all the time, like on the actual machine. But if you don't, like, it's not worth it. So if you can expand with like external SSDs, then I feel like that's the way to go. But did I make the right choice? I mean... Oh, gosh, I can't bless your purchase. (laughs) Only only you will know, right? I mean, that sounds like a great machine, though. Speaking as someone who has the M1 Max, you're basically getting two M1 Maxes. That sounds just insane to me. Now, if money weren't an object, they say that the Mac Pro, which they kind of teased in the in the event today, they say it's going to be twice as fast even as what you're getting. So it's like, I can't even fathom that speed. Right, right. I mean, we're talking like, so they got like the Macs, right? They connect the two together and that's essentially the Ultra. So it's probably going to be like two Ultras connected to each other, right? It's going to be nuts. But yeah, I'm excited. It's coming in May, so I'm really excited about that. I have to figure out the monitor is going to come in March, which is super weird. It's going to come at the end of March. And so I'm going to have to store that somewhere until like the actual, the Mac Studio comes. Or maybe hook it up to the iMac and just see how that works. But yeah, it's going to be an awesome machine. It's like it's something I've been waiting for and saving up for. So Does your current iMac have Thunderbolt 4? Does it? I don't know. Does the iMac 2019 have Thunderbolt 4? I don't know. When did Thunderbolt 4 come out? It could. I honestly don't know. I didn't keep up on yeah, the releases of Thunderbolt. Up. I thought maybe <laughs> Thunderbolt 3 would have been that era, but right. that would be interesting to know whether or not it's you know even a supported monitor. Right, right. Worth a try. Otherwise, you just keep it in the very nice box that every Apple product comes in. Just For leave one, it as a display a piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. May, though. I mean, a lot of people were saying April, and then it's already May. A friend of mine ordered his. He's not getting it for four weeks. The Mac Studio or the Mac the Mac Studio display? For the Mac Studio. I don't think he's getting the display, but for the Mac Studio, it's not coming for four weeks. And it was like, I was joking with him, you know, there was a lot of pent-up demand for a product no one knew about until today. Yeah. Well, and like, too, I'm worried in this crazy world we live in, like, how long it's going to take to get here. Like, there's so much stuff going on right now with supply chain and amongst other things. It's like, yeah, I just want to get the order in and get it out of the way. And then, like, that's how I was with my M1 Max is like, I knew I was going to buy something, whatever they unveiled. And so I was just ready to go. And I got it, you know, within the first batch. But I think if I would have waited and just debated getting it, I might have had to wait much longer. Two, like, it also has, like, some custom configuration, right? Because, like, I'm not getting whatever the standard configuration is. I'm maxing out a couple of things and not maxing out a couple other things that are all, like, system-on-a-chip pieces anyway. So that probably slows it down a bit, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. What do you think the future of Apple TV hardware is? 
besides like an actual TV. It doesn't feel like that far-fetched, right? Like they make their own displays now. Like we now have the normal priced display. A 48-inch television with like not some of the bells and whistles with the two new displays. And like they just basically have an Apple TV. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like some production reference display quality display. You know, it just has to be better, in my mind, better than what's out there from the other manufacturers. But the studio display that you're getting has Apple Silicon of some form in it. Like, I don't remember what A series it is. So, I mean, that could very well run tvOS. I'm sure someone will try. And then it would have like all the bells it's part of the whole problem that apple not making like normal stuff anymore like routers and and things like that like people really like and charge chargers and things like that that like they used to make a lot more of that third-party accessory stuff and they just don't anymore maybe they will now that they're starting it back into doing displays we'll see i guess hey folks i want to let you know about one of my favorite sponsors of the show app figures AppFigures is the leading platform for app makers to track and grow their apps. It's packed with tools for reporting, optimization, and competitive intelligence. You want to know what your competitors are doing, and maybe there's some lessons there to learn? AppFigures is going to teach you how to get your app noticed in the App Store. We all want to make great apps, but if nobody notices, it's not worth your time and money. They have some great ways to stay on top of numbers, whether it's Apple or Google Play, if you have any Android apps. They help you guide you on what you can do to get your app noticed in the App Store. They bring in all sorts of core metrics as well. So if you do anything with MRR or churn and you want to know what's going on, definitely take a look at what AppFigures has to offer. Ariel has a really great YouTube channel and newsletter you should check out, This Week in Apps. He posts some of the latest news and latest trends in the App Store because we all know not only do your customers change, but App Store rules change all the time. So you're going to want to check that out. He also does some live keyword takedowns as well. Definitely check that out on their YouTube channel as well to see how your app maybe could improve the way it lists out different keywords. If you're not sure where to get started in analyzing subscriptions, go ahead and check out their guides as well and head to appfigures.com to start a trial. If you like it, take some time right now. Go to appfigures.com and use the special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. There's no reason for you not to try this out. So this is what I want you to do. After you listen to this, try out app figures, use the special code EMPOWER3030 and get 30% off so you can see how to get your app noticed in the App Store. Thank you so much to Ariel and App Figures for sponsoring today's episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to love having um, an Airport Extreme and I would love for them to do something with um, Wi-Fi uh, routers again. Yeah. So let's get into it. Why don't you talk a little bit about your app, Sketch Party TV? I guess maybe we could start from the top. Again, like I've been developing apps for quite a while. I had an app that came out in 2009 for iPhone OS. And then I went to WWDC in 2011. That was actually the year that they introduced AirPlay mirroring and like AirPlay second display technology. So I'm sitting in the audience while they're talking about this tech. I think it was during the the WWDC State of the Union. And I was like, this would be really cool to make a party game for, especially a game like Pictionary. And so within you know a few months, I had started working on the app. 
learning how to do things with core graphics, especially, and drawing. And, uh, you know, at one point I was like, oh, I'm going to try, because uh, I don't know if you remember the app Paper. I think it was by a company called 53. And they had the best drawing engine of any app. And I'm like, how did they do this? And so it turned out it was all like custom OpenGL. And at the time, that was just beyond me. So um, I was like, the next best thing is probably core graphics. Like, how can I do that? make it fast, you know, just draw like, you know, whatever rectangle is um, currently being, you know, focused and updated. And this was also kind of a stretch for me at the time. Like I, my apps were pretty simple before this. So it took me probably four months of like solid development before I was finally able to release it. And, you know, after it came out, I didn't know a whole lot about like marketing apps. I didn't know like journalists or anything. So I released the app to very minimal fanfare. And then I'm like, well, shoot, like I spent all this time. I think people will have fun if they play it. So the next thing I did was like, learn how to market, like learn how to write to journalists, tell them about things that are coming out, um, try and get them to do. I think at the time, test flight wasn't even an option. It was like you had to, you had to like send them an, an IPA or something and, you know, have them install it that way like get their identifier for their iPhone or iPad and like, you know, sign it for them. It's crazy times. We were very <laughs> spoiled with test flight. But eventually Federico Vitici wrote about it like on a... Like app stories? Yeah. At the time it was just Mac stories. And he wrote about it. It was like um, New Year's Day or something. And a bunch of people downloaded it. It was really cool. And, um, you know, eventually... I got more press, it became a little more popular, it became more visible, and then, you know, I was able to get Apple's attention. So in 2015, when they introduced the um, native tvOS SDK, I made like a version of it that communicated over sockets. So like, you know, you'd have your iPad, you'd be drawing, and it would send over like a custom HTTP protocol all the drawing data to be reconstructed on the other side on the TV. And... Um, with AirPlay, you could only go up to 720p. And with the new, the Apple TV that they came out with, it was a 1080. And so, you know, to be able to take full advantage of all those pixels, I had to do something native. I ended up going to, they had like a tvOS uh, world tour in Toronto. And I went to that one and met some Apple people, some like people in the developer evangelism department, some people who actually worked for the app store. Like I was able to show them the app and uh, get their advice on like my my page presence, you know, the the app store page presence and like get some feedback on the app itself. Uh, I was really useful. They haven't done that in a while for some reason. Well, they're doing it now, but it's all over WebEx. Yeah. So I don't feel like you maybe get the same level of one-on-one experience that you would if you could go somewhere in person. So I hope, you know, eventually they'll do that again. But because it is, it's really helpful to get to go to WDC and talk to people face-to-face. Like if you make a good impression on them, I think that may be what led to in 2016 WWDC Sketch Party TV being featured on stage. So during the tvOS segment of the WDC 2016 keynote, Eddie Q was talking about like different apps, you know, like games on the Apple TV. And one of them was NBA 2K. And another one was like Minecraft. And he was like, and Sketch Party. And like he showed it on. Yeah. And um, it was funny because like I wasn't, I was only half watching. I didn't hear him say it. 
And some uh, people that I was working with at the time were like, somebody needs to check on Matt because I think he may have passed out. Um, <laughs> uh, but when nice. I when I caught up later, I didn't pass out, but I was pretty blown away. Yeah, I mean, today was funny. Just side note, like we saw like these indie apps like Mustafa was on a few weeks ago and Tasks was in the video that they showed off of like all the apps that you can develop for the iPad. And it was like, like, I know that guy, <laughs> you know, I felt like Leo from, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, yeah, that yeah. meme. So <laughs> I was like, that's awesome that they mentioned him. That's great. I mean, and um, I'm sorry, his name is escaping me. I know it's Greg, uh, the guy who makes drafts. I yep. think his app was yep. on there too. And then um, Vidit Bargava, I think is his name with, oh, it's that dictionary app. I can't remember the name of it offhand. Yeah, but that must be like feel awesome to see like your app up there or even like in your case mentioned by Eddie. That's pretty amazing. Oh, totally. It's huge. Like, you know, just the fact that somebody noticed your stuff. Like I've always hoped to get like a design award, an Apple design award, but they only give away so many of those. But like, you know, being on one of those um, app wall collages that they put together is also very cool. So how long, so Sketch TV has been on the Apple TV since day one, which, when did that TV OS come out that you can put apps on there? Uh, that was 2015. So what's like some of the unique things you've found with developing? Like what are some of the unique challenges, I guess, developing for the Apple TV? Oh, uh, you know, honesty moment, probably one of the biggest challenges is the like the addressable market. I feel like the iPhone and even the iPad are just enormous. Like there are so many people who have iPhones and there are far fewer people who have Apple TVs. And then even a smaller subset of those people who will actually go to the app store on their Apple TV. So the platform itself is fairly easy. I mean, I don't remember the last time I pulled up the app store on my Apple Watch, maybe like when it was in beta and I could try it out. But does anyone even know it's there? I I doubt it. So um, it's just a subset of a subset that actually will download and especially pay for apps because mine is a paid app. But, you know, it is on the iPhone. It is on the iPad. It does work with AirPlay. So like the education that it's available is um, partly falls on me. And well, it's good that you have an iPhone and an iPad app because at least like this is the issue I've run into with like independent watch apps is like it's only available on the watch. So you have to like go in, you have to search for it on the app store on the watch or find it through SEO through Google. Right. Whereas like if you have it on at least the iPhone as well, like that's a huge market. At least that can invite people in to find your app on another device. Like that's what I found. So at least like you have sketch party TV on the iPhone and the iPad as well so that people find out about it on the Apple TV that way. Yeah. And a big part of that was just the, by virtue of it being, it, it was an iPad app first, uh, you know, even before I made it for the iPhone, um, I only made it for the iPhone because I'm like, well, I want people who, when they see it, they go to a family or friend's house and play it using the iPad. I want them to be able to buy it. So I'm not sure if this is still the case, but it used to be that if your app wasn't universal and you tried to load up an iPad app on the iPhone, it, it would say this is only available on the iPad. Like you couldn't even buy it. So I had to make an iPhone version of the app and then being able to buy it through the Apple TV or being able to eventually, I'd like to bring it to the Mac so that the display part of the app also works on the Mac. Uh, that's been one of my 
pet projects that I've been noodling at for a little while, but you know, just haven't gotten a lot of traction on. But the fact that Apple Silicon can run iPad apps, it's in the works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it just a matter of like, I have done nothing about Apple TV development. So is it like, as far as like, you have your simulator, but then you can like test on the actual hardware. Do you just like hook it up to the Apple TV to like test? And like, do you have a a TV also hooked up to the Apple TV while you're running Xcode? Or how does that work? Yeah, when I was first building it, I did because it, you know, was AirPlay. So I had to AirPlay to it. And, you know, I kept that set up for a long time. And, you know, the office that I used to, that I used to lease. Nowadays, I have a KVM built into my monitor. So I just switch over, you know, to that HDMI feed that's coming from the Apple TV. If if I need to run a quick test, I can also do picture in picture on it. So yeah, it's a lot more convenient to do it that way. But unless I'm testing like the networking functionality, um, I can do a lot of it through the simulator. Okay. Okay. Do you have like a like a server set up? Like I, I don't want to call it a server, but do you have like basically like a server in your app so you listen to the drawing actions? Is that how it, essentially it works? Yeah, you know, it's using um uh what is it? GCD async socket, which is made by the same guy I think who makes GCD web server. So it, it really is. It's just like, you know, an HTTP server that's uh serializing some drawing commands sending them out, deserializing them on the other side. How about now, let's talk a little bit about the UI design on the TV. How is that different? I mean, I, I can think of thousands of ways. You got a remote, it's a bigger screen, you're not touching it. Like, What are some things that you had to get used to when you started developing for the Apple TV there? Yeah, the focus engine, getting used to like setting the hierarchy of elements and like, you know, when I swipe the remote this way, I want this element to have priority over another, let's say, and then designing for what they call a 10-foot experience, assuming that you're 10 feet away from your screen, and that the elements on screen need to be large enough to be readable. Yeah, that's it. I never heard that term before, 10-foot experience. That makes a lot of sense. Have you mostly been working through UIKit on the TV? Yes, uh, pretty much exclusively UIKit. I just have, what, 12 years? <laughs> no, more than that. Four, 14 years of experience with UIKit. So, <laughs> well, I know, like, so we got Swift UI, obviously, but then you also, like, isn't there like a TVML, like, markup language? Yeah, TVML is really for, like, um, media apps. So you would, you would use that if you had, like, let's say you had what, would essentially be a collection of videos that you wanted to be able to navigate through. TVML is like an XML-based, uh, it gets, I think, converted into UIKit views behind the scenes, but um, it's just a way of writing apps that doesn't involve having to know UIKit. Yeah, and I assume it'd have like the consistent design that Apple would like most streaming apps to have, I would assume. Hey folks, I want to let you know about a sponsor for today's episode, Sentry. Sentry is the way to track errors and do performance reports on your apps and see what's going on. Are you worried about certain edge cases happening? Then Sentry is definitely the way to go. I've started integrating into my apps and it has an awesome dashboard and great integrations with other tools like there, like GitLab and GitHub. Sentry has Swift packages, CocoaPods, so it's easy for you to integrate it and get started today. They have a great team and I highly recommend you check Santry out. 
Thank you so much to Century for sponsoring today's episode. Go to the link in the show notes below and give it a try. Thank you. What are some other things iPhone developers should know about developing for the Apple TV, like as far as APIs that are available or things that folks really should think about if they're going to get into it? I mean, if you have an iPhone app that's like a media app, then it makes absolute sense to bring it over to tvOS. If you have a game, you may need to think about like, you know, your UI controls. So like a game like uh, Sketch Party TV requires an iPhone or an iPad as the drawing uh, device. And this was actually a sticking point um, when I was talking to people from Apple because their early direction was every app needs to make use of the Siri remote. And mine really didn't. And and so when I explained it to them, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, that makes sense. But I think for the most part, what they want is for you know the apps to support the Siri remote. And what I've always wished is that Apple would include or at least make a version of the Apple TV that includes a game controller. I'm wondering, you know, they didn't do it this time, but I think eventually they're going to put some M-series chip into an Apple TV, and it's just absolutely going to scream and compete with, you know, Xbox and PlayStation. At least Nintendo. At least it'll compete with the Nintendo Switch or something. But they haven't done it yet. You know, they've they've sort of, you know, relegated that off to uh, third-party hardware makers. That's something I don't quite understand is like why they haven't tried harder. I don't know what that means for Apple, but like they could really turn the Apple TV into a decent budget game console if they really wanted to. Like it's priced that way and it could have the horsepower for it. It's just like that's where I think like having another streaming device that's a race to the bottom at this point today, like Fire TV or, or, or Roku. So if you're going to like price yourself like that, you may as well just be like a decent like family game console, especially with Apple Arcade and stuff. Even priced, you know, like $50 higher, let's say, including a, a game controller, I, I feel like would be a good price point because you have something like Apple Arcade. What's the price of Apple Arcade now? It's like five bucks a month or something. And there are a lot of great titles available. I think they showed some of them today. Yeah, exactly. And I could totally see like, here, get two years or 12 months of Apple Arcade and a game controller and have fun. Like, and then you got people into the ecosystem. It's it's a great way to get people in. Yeah, and um, selfishly, I hope they do something like that because I would like to spend more time developing Sketch Party TV, but not only Sketch Party TV. Like I, I had this whole suite of party games that I wanted to make with the party TV uh, suffix. I just never got around to it because Sketch Party TV did all right. It still does pretty well at like the holidays, but it's not like <laughs> I can't make it like, you know, my full-time focus, let's say. Have you looked at developing for other devices outside of Apple for Sketch Party TV? At one point, I was actually contacted by uh, Comcast to do something for their, um, I think their Xfinity platform. I ended up working with another developer. It was all like a JavaScript SDK. And we just could not get the performance that we were looking to out of the hardware that they had. So, you know, that that was one that we'd looked at. And then another one was um, the Fire TV and rebuilding the app in Android. Just never really made a whole lot of progress with it. Even though still, like, you know, people ask, where's the Android version of this app? Or like, if you search for Sketch Party TV, one of the search suggestions that comes up in Google is Sketch Party TV for Android. So, I mean, there may be some demand there, but 
I'm not sure what the actual market would be. Right, right, yeah. Have you tried doing anything with Swift UI on the Apple TV? No, I have not. I mean, I'm just so comfortable with UIKit. I don't know if I mentioned like pretty much 99% of SketchPray TV is built in Objective-C. So with some views built in Swift, but still UIKit. I have some ideas around doing some things with like SharePlay. I may introduce some Swift UI when I do that. I'm hesitant about Swift UI though, because you know, I very smart people write these blog posts about all the trouble that they have with it. And um, I guess the early adopters are the ones who get the arrows, so to speak. So um, I used to be uh, an early adopter, like, you know, with, I feel like I was pretty early with AirPlay, let's say. I made an app for iMessage. It's called uh, Truth, Truth, Lie. It's like um, two truths and a lie, but you record a video. You record three videos and send them to someone and they have to guess which one, which one is the lie. And uh, the iMessage market just wasn't there either. So yeah, you know, it's like you get burned a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, especially with WWDC, there's always the thing. Like you said, iMessage apps are, I don't know, SharePlay seems to be pretty successful this year. It seems like there's, I've seen a lot of good stuff out there when it comes to SharePlay. That seems to be a success. But if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Like, I, I totally get that. That makes total sense. If someone was an iPhone developer, how should they get started? What should be their to-do app on the Apple TV that will help them get a good idea of what it's like developing for the Apple TV? I think there are a lot of apps that have been done already, but one of them would probably be, I had wanted to make, back when this was a bigger deal, like with the California wildfires, I had wanted to make like an air quality app. Just a very simple app to like either find your current location approximately or like search or like go through a list of of locations and and see on a map like what the current air quality is. That seemed like it would be, you know, a fairly simple app as far as like standard UI, map kit, API integration with some sort of, you know, API that delivers air quality information. That seemed like a pretty low-hanging fruit to me. Apart from that, like, you know, trying to make a, a video player because, you know, all the controls are are fairly available. Yeah. Any good tutorials you'd recommend to help folks get started with Apple TV development? I mean, anytime I need to look something up, I usually look at whatever Paul Hudson has written on Hacking with Swift or somebody like Antoine Vanderlee or like Donnie Walls. But the uh, perennial favorite is has to be Ray Wenderlich. There's always good stuff there. Yeah, and Ray's library ha- ha- will have something on Apple TV development for sure. So, yeah, you know, um, Apple TV dev- development with Swift UI, I think they also have. So maybe after our call, after we're done recording, maybe I'm going to take a look at that one. Yeah, and we'll post links in the show notes. Was there anything else you wanted to mention before we close out? Well, uh, I put Sketchbury TV on sale. You know, it's usually $5 and it's on sale right now for 3 so that'll be probably through the end of the weekend. Okay, awesome. Then we'll definitely put a link to that. Yeah, it's an awesome app. People should definitely... So yeah, definitely check that out. Well, Matt, I'm really glad we did this finally. Yeah, same, Leo. Uh, where can people find you online? If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Matt Braun, M-A-T-T-B-R-A-U-N, and then mattbraun.co is my website. Awesome. Thank you again, Matt, for coming on. I really appreciate it. For sure. Thanks for having me, Leo. It was a blast. 
People can find me on Twitter at LeoGDN. My company is Bright Digit. Please take some time to like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube or post a review to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for coming on and listening and watching this episode. And I look forward to talking to you again. Bye.